Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Yeah, there we go. We, we were caught off guard by guest producer Casey. He gave us the... Uh, yeah, Casey's a man. The quick punch. What's it called? The quick punt? The haymaker. The haymaker. That's what we're calling it now, at least. He was like, we're recording. Yeah, he's like, okay, we're rolling. <laughs> Be funny, monkeys. So rather than start over, I did my cheeks afterward. Yeah. All right. It's unusual. It's an unusual reversal of order, but we're going to we have are. to go with it because we are low on tape. No one's gone to Staples, <laughs> so we just have to use this one. We can't record over it again or else it'll snap. That's funny. That used to be an issue. Yeah. Like, like how we're running 80s. low on, on something. Yeah. Now there's an abundance of everything. We have off supplies out the yin-yang. That's right. Remember that ad for uh, E-Trade? He's got money coming out the wazoo. Mm-mm. It was like this ER team who were like hustling this guy in a gurney to the to the um, emergency room, and they're like, money. what's wrong with him? And they're like, he's got money coming out the wazoo, and it was coming out of his, his bottom. That's good. His bottom. Chuck. Yes. I think we should say that um, this is a special uh, episode dedicated to the countless uh, Peace Corps volunteers who listen to Stuff You Should Know and who have written in over the years to say, hi, yeah. you guys were my best friends in, you know, Benin, mm-hmm. Turkmenistan, um, Guam, yeah, wherever. Sure, yeah, and uh, we're finally doing that episode. How Peace Corps works. Yep, we've had quite a few write in over the years. Yeah, and they're all super nice folks, and uh, seem to really be enjoying their time wherever they are. Yeah, they're uh, they're um, good-hearted hustlers, is how I would describe them. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. As of right this second, yes. <laughs> all right. So, um, let let me take you back a little bit, Chuck. Right? I don't think we need to go in the Wayback Machine. Not far, but... It's not that far back. back. But we're just going to go to um, October 1960, chilly night, Mm -hmm. uh, 2 a.m. in in Ann Arbor, Michigan. At the University of Michigan, a young senator named John Fitzgerald Kennedy uh, was working the campaign trail as his father worked to buy votes in other states. And he gave a little (laughs) impromptu... Um, speech again at 2 a.m. in U- at the University of Michigan, unprepared remarks in front of 10,000 um, Wolverines, and he said, "Chuck, as follows: How many of you who are going to be doctors are willing to spend your days in Ghana? Air uh, technicians or engineers? How many of you are willing to work in the foreign service and spend your days and your lives traveling around the world? Air." Uh, on your willingness to do that, not merely to serve one or two years in the service, but on your willingness to contribute parts of your life to this country, I think it will depend the answer whether a free society can compete. Yeah. Uh, so I, I pressed the wrong button. I accidentally pressed the <laughs> Catherine Hepburn button. But that was what uh, JFK said. Uh, and that was the outline. That was very good, Chuck. I'm kidding. That was, yeah. Um, that was the outline, the initial outline, the first time he ever spoke publicly about his idea for the Peace Corps. Mayor Quimby? <laughs> I wish I could say my favorite line. Shout out. <laughs> Shout out. Which one? Calm down, everyone. I know you're all frightened and blank. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 That was close. I almost said it for you. Yep. 
Um, Simpsons fans will recognize it and yes, appreciate it. Will. And right. we have plenty of those crossover fans. Um, so that was the first time he ever spoke publicly about what would become the Peace Corps. Uh, and two weeks later, he gave another speech in San Francisco at the famous Cow Palace. Grateful Dead played a pretty good show there in 1974. I remember it. I think the Allman Brothers did, too. Yeah, I'm sure you were there <laughs> drinking beers at age 18. Uh, and uh, after that second speech, two weeks later in San Francisco, he said, hey, basically, let me know how you think about this. And he got 25,000 letters in response saying, I would do that. Wow. So um, one of the first things he did when he um, gained the presidency uh, was to sign an executive order saying, uh, okay, now there's officially a Peace Corps. It was on March 1st, 1961, that he wrote the executive order, and it was placed into the uh, budget, the 1962 budget, and Congress passed the budget officially enacting the Peace Corps by default. 50th anniversary. Yeah. This year. It is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, they had some, you know. The graphics all over the website that didn't sink in (laughs) that I was looking at all day. The big cake with 50 candles. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then uh, shortly after that, well, a little while after that, uh, Nixon, who um, JFK soundly beat in that that presidential debate, the televised one, Mm -hmm. um, said, well, I've always hated JFK, so I'm going to take his his little pet project and just put it over here. And Jimmy Carter came in and went, hold on a minute. And he (laughs) made it its own independent federal agency uh, with an appointment uh, by the president. And it's part of the foreign aid budget, usually about 1%, right? Yeah, this year and last year, I believe, $400 million, which is not chump change. Not only is it not chump change, they asked for $373 million and they got $400 million. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't know that federal agencies got more than they asked for in the budget. Well, Bush, uh, W, and Obama have both pushed for expansion of the Peace Corps. I think Bush wanted to double the number of volunteers. He wanted to double the number of CIA agents in the field? <laughs> we'll get to that in a little bit. Why does Obama want to double it? I would assume everyone has pure intentions here, Josh. But okay. <laughs> maybe not. All right. Um it's been a uh, resounding success over the last 50 years. Um, there have been 193 countries served, Chuck, I believe. Um, there have been... More eight- than 200,000 volunteers total. Yeah. 18 directors. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy who's directing now, Aaron S. Williams, he is the fourth director to have been a Peace Corps volunteer back in the day. I figured they all were. I would have, too. Um, one of the more famous ones who wasn't was Paul Coverdell. Oh, yeah. Remember the statue just mm-hmm. behind us? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it says Peace Corps somewhere on it. Yeah, you know what I like about the Peace Corps site when you're trudging through it is uh, when you see like an Aaron Williams or whoever, they have their service in parentheses next to their name. Yeah. Like uh, Dominican Republic 67 to 70 was where he was. Right. Pretty cool. Um, probably the most famous Peace Corps volunteer is Chris Matthews from Hardball. Was he really? Yeah. Uh, he did Swaziland 68 to 70. Oh, I thought you were going to say Evangeline Lilly of Lost fame. Oh, yeah. I guess she's... But I know Chris Matthews. I, I'm not familiar with the other lady. Yeah, she may be the hottest. Which one was <laughs> she? Was she like the main female lead? Kate, yeah. Okay. Very pretty lady. Yeah. Um, although she was Canadian, she must have gotten her citizenship because you have to be American. Yeah, that's a good point. Huh. Something's fishy that we may have just uncovered in this podcast. Or maybe Chuck. she just flashed her smile and they're like, who? <laughs> right. We'll sign we up. We don't care where you're from. So um, 
the the purpose of this, as you said, you you assume everybody's intentions are good, and I think that that's a nice thing to assume. Um, the, the the purpose of establishing the Peace Corps is threefold. It's a type of foreign aid, right? And we have huge, enormous foreign aid packages in the in the um, in the way of like surplus food and just straight up money, sure. supplies, equipment, weapons, whatever, building things. But Peace Corps, uh, it's unique in that it's a supply of foreign aid in the form of know-how and hands-on get it done. It's like the Toyota Tundra of foreign aid. <laughs> Give a man a fish, Josh, and you'll feed him for a day. Isn't that what they say? Yeah, it's based on this, right? Teach him to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. Yes, if I've he if he that. if he gets good at fishing. Yeah, unless he stinks. <laughs> Uh, should we should we say what their three part official mission statement is? Yeah, uh, help the people of interested countries in meeting their need for trained men and women, uh, helping promote a better understanding of Americans on the part of the people served, and to help promote a better understanding of other peoples on the part of the Americans. Right, that's a bureaucratic mission statement, if I've ever heard one. It is, and I, I just read something on NPR from a couple of years ago called the Peace Corps Blues, and uh, the each country has their own director, and the former director in Cameroon said that he thinks one of the things we're failing on now is that a lot of people in these countries don't realize that it's actually a U.S. government program. Like, they know they're volunteers, mm-hmm. but I think they think it's some great nonprofit. Or like a mission group? Yeah, so that kind of fails that one aspect of the mission statement in his eyes, that these countries, one of the big deals is for these countries to know, hey, this is the U.S. government coming over here and helping us out. It's your Uncle Sam. It's exactly. Who you now owe a favor to. He has some other problems but I'll, with the program now, but I'll, I'll go over those later. So um, right now there you have programs in 76 countries, but overall I think 193 countries have had programs at one time or another, including countries that don't exist. The first two to join the program, the interested countries, as you mentioned in the mission statement, were um, – uh, let me see if I got this right. Uh, Tanganyika, Tanganyika. Okay. Which later got together with Zanzibar to form what we now recognize as Tanzania. Sure. You knew that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Ghana was the other two, who uh, JFK mentioned in his speech yeah. in, in University of Michigan. So um, it's had, a, at the very least, um, a widespread impact. We'll talk about measuring the impact later. But um, let's get down to nitty-gritty, right? I think just what we've said already has caused some people to be like, where do I sign up? Josh and Chuck are, yeah. are endorsing this, so let's just skip to the end. Well, the first thing you should know if you want to sign up is that you're going to be committing to 27 months of service, of volunteerism. Or a tour. A tour. Uh, you're going to be living for free. They're going to provide your living accommodations uh, while you're there and give you a small stipend to spend money, which... Evidently, though, is more money than most of the people you'll be helping have. Yeah, that's like that old thing where if you have $100, you can live for like 10 years in Peru or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, when you come back home, they're going to give you $6,000 to get you back going. You know, they, they don't want to leave you broke because you haven't had any real work for two and a half or 27 months. So they give you six grand to get you going again. Put that down payment on the apartment. Yeah, to get you back in, in the swing of things. Yeah. Right, exactly. Uh, and by the old thing, of course, I mean the um, strength of the dollar. Yes. Um, so it, when you are applying, Chuckers, you you start out online. Apparently, you can uh, do it in writing mm-hmm. if you'd like. If you're like a an Amish kid who wants to right. who wants to sign up or a traditionalist, 
right? Um, but for the most part, you do this application online, and I looked at it, and it is extensive. Oh, I'm sure. Your All of your education background, any criminal history, how much you like to drink. Um, really? Oh, yeah. Uh, any military service, because one of the first things they try to root out is whether or not you have any intelligence background, and if you did, sorry. I wonder if you, when you fill that out for the drinking, if you just put, like, a lot well, yeah. It would be like, mm, I don't know. They, there's even a section where they say, like, well, let us just define what we mean by problem drinking. How many drinks per week is one of those deals? Right. Yeah. How many sexual partners do you have a night? You know, AKA kind of thing. things that you lie to your doctor about. Right. Um, there's also uh, any any financial obligations you might have, e.g. student loans or um, mortgages, yeah. uh, car payments. Basically, they're like, you can't just use us to escape your creditors. Yeah. So they want to they want to know not not only like what you have, but how you're going to arrange to pay them and any kind of documentation. You need references. I mean, this is like the first application, and it is very extensive. Well, they want to weed out as many people as possible. Yep. Right off the bat. Right. And if your application is selected, right? You're pretty will, lucky, first of all, I think. Yeah, I, I would imagine it's yeah. a fairly low percentage because there's just so many. Um, Red flags that they're looking for. That, so many alcoholics. <laughs> right. So many problem drinkers is right. what they call it. Um, that, that, you know, if you, if you raise one, they're going to be like, no, there's 10 other people who are applying who, who don't have that red flag. Right. So if you make it through the initial application process, they're going to ask you to come in for an interview. And they weed out more people here. Yep. Um, basically what they're trying to figure out mainly is if you are, Likely to complete your term of service. Yeah. What they don't like is people that have to leave. I'm sure that's highly discouraged. Right. To leave the Peace Corps during your tour. So they want to know if you have like a uh, a serious, if you're in a serious relationship. Yeah. They want to know stories about your childhood where you've motivated others to complete tasks. Sure. Um, they want to know um, how you medical. Would, how you, yeah, any medical conditions. I think that's in the initial application. Yeah, but it's sort of like the Army in that you can be denied because of medical conditions, obviously. Right. Um, the, one, of the, one of the interview questions I saw was, uh, tell us about a rule that you have trouble following. And the correct answer for that is, uh, the rule I have trouble following is the rule that asks me to stop when I've done just enough, the bare <laughs> minimum. That's the right answer. Yeah. Um, would you modify your appearance to fit in with a... The local culture, like oh, yeah. would you shave your mohawk or sure. take out your piercings or whatever? Mm-hmm. How will you stave off boredom? The correct answer to that is an iPod full of stuff you should know. Exactly. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. So there you go. There's your uh, all your crib notes for the, the interview. Yeah, and if you pass the interview, it gets really exciting from that point because if you get an official invitation, it's pretty neat. You get 10 days to decide. And it's fairly vague. They send some guy there. He's like, come on, come on. Yeah. What's your answer? Because <laughs> basically they want to know if you're in for the Peace Corps, not if you're in to go to Indonesia and teach English. Right. Or because, surf. Or surf. Because, well, exactly. There might be other reasons. Yeah. Uh, so what they do is they give you 10 days to decide, and they leave it fairly vague. They give you a probably like a, 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 a probably not even a country, probably like a continent. Right. Like Asia. Yeah, where we're going to send you. And they do detail a little bit about what the, uh, job you'll have. But they basically want to know, are you in for the Peace Corps no matter where we send you? And if you say, yeah, then you're going to get your departure date. And then 
that's when you're going to get some more specific information. Right. Like, the guy okay. who's like, come on, high fives. He's like, all right, I'll be back right. in like a couple weeks with another lighter. And like, you're going to Turkey. And then he goes, uh. Yeah. Sorry, no surfing <laughs> in Turkey. Although there probably is. You think? On the Bosporus. Surfing Turkey? Yeah. All right. Surf Turkey, man. Uh, you, you get a little uh, or- orientation appointment, and then you get sent off to that country for a three-month uh, training period. Yeah. If you're 18, if you're a U.S. resident. No upper age limit. Yeah, you can be no dependence. really, really old and still go to the Peace Corps, I guess, no if de- you pass everything. No dependence. I just noticed that. I didn't realize. I guess they're like, yeah, we want you to not just abandon your family. That's a nice move. Yeah. Uh, and you have to have a high school diploma. Yes, Josh. And you do need uh, that diploma. And you also can be married, but it's a pretty small percentage. Think about 3% are married couples. Right. Or, I, or is it 7%? Yeah, 7% married. Six. 93% single. I think it waffles. So, um, yeah, 1% is undecided. And th- they will send you with your married partner. They can. There are some assignments where they'll send both of you to the same place to yeah. work together. But apparently those are kind of few and far between. But you can't put in for your girlfriend or boyfriend. No, you like, can't. At all. And you both have to be accepted fully as Peace Corps volunteers who could be sent to different corners of the earth. I think they like to help people out in that I'm way. I'm sure they do. Um, but you can't have any kids. No. And you can't take your pets. No. Which not is even a, not, not even a surprise. A little, a little field mouse. <laughs> not a surprise at all. You can't take your pets. So if you have pets, like you got to look at your life, you know. If you are a homeowner with pets, then you probably shouldn't volunteer for the Peace Corps. No. You can volunteer here at home. Join, uh, right. join um, I don't know, AA. <laughs> But if you are uh, single and you're living in Brooklyn, you don't have any cats, and you got time to kill, and a, and a heart that wants to serve the world, yeah. And you know about um, I don't know, repairing motorbikes in Indonesia. Yeah, or you speak a foreign language. These are all things like these hobbies. They they really get into that, and it's not like when you put down your hobbies for a college education or a college application, and no one really cares about that. I hate to break it to you. Yeah. But uh, the Peace Corps does. They really do in the Peace Corps. If you have uh, skills at, as, a, as a gardener, they want to know about that. Or if you were like a landscaper or something like that. Yeah. And what, what they're going to say, here are all of our programs. Choose. And you're going to choose, and then they're going to be like, okay, no, this is where we really need you. <laughs> and they will send you where they need you ultimately. Yeah, Based but, on your skills, sure. your background, your hobbies. You could always get sent where you might like to go, and if you have learnt, know that language, that's a big leg up in that direction, I think. But I think you should be prepared to know that they they may send you wherever. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of it. But you're doing this uh, for the love of helping others, and really, it doesn't matter. Because there's only one race, the human race. <laughs> I just think that's really exciting. Yeah. To not know where you're going to go and to be... I, I wish I would... I would join. I would go back and do it all over again. I would, I would do it different. I would join the Peace Corps for a couple of years. You know what I always think of when I think of the Peace Corps? I think of um, Julie Haggerty and the the lead guy from yeah. Airplane. <laughs> when they went and told him, yeah, she has like a Tupperware party and he's teaching him <laughs> basketball and it's or like no, the, the Harlem Globetrotters. Break dancing. That was uh, that was different. I was thinking the disco scene when he was. Yeah, that's different. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's what I think of when I think of Peace Corps. I think of the Tom Hanks movie, Volunteers. I never saw that one. But that's where he met his wife, Rita Wilson. Oh, yeah. I guess so, huh? Yeah. I never saw that because I always hated the Tennessee Volunteers. So I refused to see that movie in case it helped them in any way. Yeah. I still do. Right. Oh, Josh. Packing. Yes. They only allow you to take two bags. 
Yeah. For 27 months, which doesn't sound like a lot. Well, not only that, there's a weight limit. Yeah, 80 pounds, right? Uh, AKA 36.287 kilograms for our non imperial <laughs> measurement friends. So, what they suggest is take things that you cannot get elsewhere. And then when you get there, you can buy some of the other things. Like don't <laughs> don't bother packing a crock pot. A crock pot, because you can get a crock pot in Benin. Yeah, or can you? <laughs> well, there's going to be some other cookware that Stoneware, you can perhaps. find. Yeah, yeah. That it's just stupid. That's going to take up everything. But they said bring you know bring some good old fashioned American undies. Yeah. and rain gear and yeah. hiking boots and stuff like that that you yeah. probably can't get in these other countries. Yeah. So you want to you want to blow your weight on. Um, the 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 essentials that you're not going to be able to find anywhere else. Maybe that iPod. They said you can bring a laptop, but one thing you're not guaranteed is electricity. Yeah, there's a there's a pretty common misconception that it's like all thatched huts and no municipal water supply, no electricity, and that's not true at all. The no thatched hut thing is not true at all. The no municipal water supply or no electricity thing that's extremely true in a lot of cases. Well, so is the thatched hut here and there. Okay. But you can volunteer to go to those places. You can. You can also be sent to those places. Yeah. But you can also say, I want to go to a place that has no running water uh-huh. and no electricity, and I want to help there. Um, but there are a lot of assignments where even if you say, no, I don't want that, they'll be like, yeah. Yeah. I think they call those people the hardcore. Yes. Of the Peace Corps. Yeah. We're like, you know what? I signed up for this. Send me to the edge of the cliff. Here's my iPod even. I That's don't want crazy. <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot of a lot of these people are, are teach in these in like local schools though that you know they have power and water and they're they're more it's not as third world as you might think it is in in many cases. Yeah, I would imagine in a lot of cases it's like um, some of the places we went in Guatemala. Remember yeah. they didn't have anything resembling a municipal water supply. Yeah, true. It was just like there's a, there's a pond over there, but it wasn't primitive. Luck. No, I mean, there were buildings and structures yeah, yeah. and people wore clothes and things like that. It's not like, you know, living with the Yanomamo. Exactly. <laughs> so what's day-to-day life like, Josh, if you're a Peace Corps volunteer? Um, well, day-to-day life is actually a lot looser than you would think. Basically, they give you an assignment, like say, um, we want you to teach agricultural techniques, modern agricultural mm-hmm. techniques, or maybe sustainable agricultural techniques sure. to these people in Guam. Great. Would Guam even qualify, though? It's a U.S. territory. I would think it'd be outside of the U.S. foreign policy scope. Let's just say someplace in Africa, then. Let's go again with um, Tangayaka. Okay. Tangayika. <laughs> yeah, Tangayika. Um, and you go and you say, okay, well, this is th- here's some ideas for how I'm going to teach these people sustainable agriculture in Tangayika. Uh, and... Um, they, you get there, and they're like, there is no Tanganyika anymore, jackass. <laughs> it's all Tanzania. And you go, well, it still applies, so here's what I'm going to do. And your day-to-day, your hours, um, how you interact with people, mm-hmm. what you teach them probably, it's a lot up to you. There's nobody looking over your shoulder. Like They pretty much just give you a parachute and drop you off, Yeah. say, see you later, good it, luck. That's <laughs> not true. You do go alone, though, and... Depending on how remote you are, you may be the only American face you see for a while. Although in other places, there might be other volunteers that you know within the town, yeah. but you're still technically sent alone. One of the things I think we skipped over is you are allowed to receive friends 
Your friends can come visit you on their own dime. I didn't know that. I didn't either. But they can come hang out with you if you want. Yeah, it's If you need cool. to see a friendly face or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you can but get again, packages. You can get packages. You can go um, travel at your own expense. You can go to the capital city. You can go wherever there's Wi-Fi uh-huh. and load up on your Stuff You Should Know episodes. That's right. Um, you can do a little sightseeing, whatever you want. Uh, again, you're setting your own hours. But I think for the most part they imagine that if you are uh, the kind of go-getter who volunteers for Peace Corps, you're not just going to like lay around all day. True enough, although that same guy I mentioned earlier, Robert Strauss, who was the director, former director in Cameroon, mm-hmm. said he does feel like these days some volunteers use it as, quote, employer of last resort, and that uh, some recruits use it as an extended spring break from college. I could see that. And I, I, I think that's rare, but he says that is a problem, and he wants the standard to be what you talked about. Well, you know, that's Peace Corps' problem. Their their process is not rooting them out. Yeah. You know? It oh, needs to be like, are you a pothead? Yes, no. <laughs> right. There's your, there's your rooting out system. And depending on if you're a pothead, it would depend on where they would send you. <laughs> yeah. Like just how bad of a pothead. Yeah, exactly. Um, you mentioned packages, too, Chuck. You can get packages, but... Our good friend, um, Grabinowski, who wrote this. The grabster. He says that there are, there is such a thing as, quote, corrupt mail workers <laughs> who pilfer your packages sometimes. Um, it, it could take forever. Yeah. So he recommends that you have friends and family start sending you packages and letters before you even leave the U.S. so that when you get there, you'll get some stuff in the first few months and it'll keep you from being so homesick. Yeah, I would send myself a bunch of stuff. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't count on my family to do it. 80 pounds. Because they'd be like, yeah, 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 and I wouldn't get any packages till like, the end of year one if I left it to my family. <laughs> it's not true. That's not? I don't know. I didn't get a lot of college packages, let's just say that. I didn't either. Care packages? Yeah. I, I was like, do you even know what that is? I want you to, to send <laughs> yeah. me one of these. And I basically just walked my dad around the store like, put this in there. <laughs> put that in there. Yeah. It's getting a little heavy. Yeah, I mean, we can take the canned goods out. Right. Yeah. But, of course... You know, I went to school 60 miles from where I lived, so yeah. if I would have gone like across country, I might have got more care packages. Maybe. You just keep telling yourself that. Yeah, exactly. So, Chuck, um, there's some advantages once you return, your tour's over. There's some advantages to um, being a Peace Corps volunteer. Yeah. It uh, doesn't hurt any resume. No. It shows a lot of uh, stick-to-itiveness and sure. get-up-itude. And beyond the fact that it like proves your commitment as a human to a task, which mm-hmm. is huge. Yeah. You also get the inside scoop on uh, getting a government job if you're interested in that kind of thing. Yes. Like, you get, um, you're available to lists that other people might not see. You're privy to information. Exactly. You're also given um, priority, hiring priority, over somebody who may even have better qualifications than you but wasn't a Peace Corps volunteer. Sorry, sucker. Which is one of the reasons our government functions like it does. Um <laughs> So what has this done, Chuck? How do you measure the success of something like the three points of the mission statement? Uh, you said Strauss criticized one of them. Let's talk about the accomplishments. Uh, well, it, that's one of the problems is it's tough to measure that in any sort of uh, sort of statistical way. Yeah. So the only way you can really measure it is to talk to the volunteers themselves. And usually when you talk to them, Afterward, they're like, you know what? I learned pretty quick that I was going to have to kind of reset my goals yeah. and make them a little smaller in scope 
like going from I want to help the world to I want to help this village. Yeah. Which is good. And that's helping the world. Yeah, the because there's 7,000 people doing that in villages all over the world. So combined, collectively, it seems to be doing that. Yeah, but it is tough. When you have a $400 million program, even though it's a scant fraction of the of the bu- of the budget, um, you still have to show metrics, I imagine, and it's pretty tough in this case. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, I guess. But, I mean, like you said, I mean, there's no quantitative way to spell it out because you can't – I mean, I guess you could go poll people where – there have been um, uh, Peace Corps volunteers and ask them, do you like America more or less now? <laughs> yeah. And if it's more, then awesome. True. There you go. Quantified. There's a check right there. They do say that most volunteers come back feeling uh, like they gained a lot from it, for sure. So that's one of the three, right? Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> at least at least one third of it is accomplished. Um there are also a lot of criticisms, as I think we've kind of leaked out here or there, of Peace Corps, which is, you know, th- that's any any noble experiment is going to um, result in criticism. There's always going to be poo-pooers, people who, you know, don't put their money where their mouth is, but yet have plenty of time to point out all the problems with something, yeah. e.g. me. <laughs> True. So what are they? Uh, well... Sadly, should we go ahead and get to the crime thing? Sure. One of the criticisms is that there has been crimes committed by and against Peace Corps volunteers over the years. Yeah. And um, that the Peace Corps hasn't done a very good job of uh, backing these people. And some allege they've even tried pretty hard to cover up a lot of this stuff. Yeah. There was, um, it was, I think, last year or this year. Um in Washington, there was a bit of a stir when Congress was basically forced to start inquiring into how the Peace Corps handles uh, reports of, say, like sexual violence against volunteers. Yeah. Um, a group of volunteers was organized by a former volunteer named Casey Frazee, and she started um, First Response Action, which is basically like it's a group of former volunteers who were subject to sexual violence and who were mistreated by the Peace Corps when they returned. Yeah. A lot of them reported basically it being implied that it was their fault. What had they been drinking? What were they wearing? Had they been like sleeping around? Right. Basically, were they asking for it? Right. Which is not what you do to your people. No. And uh, statistically, uh, every year on average, 22 Peace Corps women report being victims of rape or attempted rape. And uh, more than 1,000 from 2000 to 2009 uh, reported sexual assaults and you know a lot of these go unreported still so that number may be higher and that's we're not trying to poo-poo anything but that's really sad and you know obama and and the new guy uh, aaron williams have said that they need to take this way more seriously and make it a a more victim-centered uh approach take a more victim-centered approach to this one of the reasons that that's going on apparently is because there's a clause from the 1965 peace corps act that says if you're a peace corps employee Yumi was a Peace Corps employee. Did you know that? No. She worked at HQ. No way. Yeah. Was you, that in D.C.? Yeah. You can't be. You can't work there for longer than five years. Huh. And the whole point is to keep the keep the place young, keep yeah. the ideas fresh, sure. keep it you know really um, um, rolling with the punches. But one of the one of the problems with that is that it has no institutional memory. 
Right. If no one's been there longer than five years, there are some who are grandfathered in. Mm-hmm. But if no one's been there for longer than five years and your director comes aboard like every three, four, five years maybe, um, there's no memory on how to handle big problems like this. So things can very easily be brushed under the carpet. And sadly, Josh, there have been, by my count, three murders mm-hmm. of Peace Corps volunteers. Uh, one, just in 2009, Kate Pusey was murdered in Benin. And uh, this one drew a lot of attention because Kate was uh, essentially ratting out a, a local employee of the school she was working at who uh, she believed was uh, sexually assaulting the girls at the school. She wrote the Peace Corps office, and somehow this got back to him, and he tied her to a porch and slit her throat. And the parents were pretty upset that this was leaked, and uh, although I don't think they like verified if the Peace Corps leaked it, surely they wouldn't do anything like that. But they're pretty upset that it wasn't as confidential as it should have been and that it led to her uh, murder. And then most famously um, was in the 1970s, Deborah Gardner was stabbed to death by another volunteer in Tonga mm-hmm. in 1976. And he is still walking the streets of Brooklyn today. Yeah, Dennis Priven. Yeah, I've read a New Yorker article on this. It was really interesting. So what, there was a series of legal quirks that, that led to him basically well, getting acquitted? Yeah, what happened was she was very pretty, and he liked her very much, and she did not return the affection. And one night after a party in the town where there were some other volunteers, uh, she got a little too drunk, apparently, fell down a couple of times on the dance floor, and one of her ex-boyfriends, who was there, uh, took her back to her hut and, you know, put her to bed. Five days later, uh, Priven comes into her hut and stabs her 22 times. And it, it was um, supposed to go a little different. He had, like, a, a pipe and a knife and, like, cyanide. And it was supposed to be – he was supposed to, like, knock her out and torture her. But she, like, woke up when he got there and fought him off. And it just led to, like, you know, a brutal stabbing. Wow. He was trying to pull her out of the hut when people saw him. He fled on a bike. She was able to name her attacker before she died. And um, they uh, had a trial in Tongo where he was, um, where the American government said he has schizophrenia. And we are going to, if you let him go here, we're going to uh, commit him to an institution in Washington State when we get back. Mm-hmm. And the uh, problem is when they got back to Washington State, you, they didn't accept, you know, like you couldn't commit someone at that point. Huh. So it was basically not a ruse, but it was, uh, they got him out of the country and then basically there was no recourse. They couldn't try him in America and they couldn't commit him involuntarily. And he went, you know what? I don't want to go. I'm going back to New York. And that's what he did. And that's where he still is. So had he been diagnosed with schizophrenia? Um, I think that he had by one doctor there, but then later on he did volunteer to go to this hospital mm-hmm. and get tested, and they said that he suffered from a, uh, from psychosis in the moment. I can't remember what they called it, but basically went nuts that night. Gotcha. But he's not schizophrenic. It doesn't have yeah. schizophrenia. Wow. He's walking around New York still, huh? Yeah. Wow. They wrote a book about it, and he, he keeps it pretty low pro. But I would imagine. He's got a pretty good job. He worked for Social Security as like a... $80,000 a year computer guy. Wow. So it's really sad. 
Yeah. But that is the exception. We don't want to paint a, a negative picture here. But um, well, ha- they have called on the Peace Corps to, to clean up their act, for sure, when it comes to crime. Yeah, and the Peace Corps, for its part, says we do not uh, place Peace Corps volunteers in unsafe environments. That's what Aaron Williams said. Yeah. But he also said we need to we need to handle like the any victimization that does happen way better than we are. Um Chuck. Josh. There's also the CIA allegations. I don't know much about this. So for basically since its inception, just the value of having seven thousand kids being placed in local environments, mm-hmm. gaining the trust of people, interacting with other nationals from other countries. Uh, in a third place, a neutral setting. Yeah. It, just the, the intelligence value of them by default is, is incalculable. But the, from the outset, the, the two have been intended to be separated, uh-huh. right? Peace Corps has nothing to do with intelligence. Like if you have an intelligence background, sorry, you can't be in Peace Corps. Right. If you're in Peace Corps, you have to wait four years before you can get a, any kind of intelligence assignment in the military. Okay. Um, so the, the, on paper, they're very much separate. Right. But everybody, including people who live in these countries that are being served by Peace Corps, have always assumed Peace Corps volunteers are often asked to do intelligence field work. Yeah. In, t- is, in 2008, some kids came forward in Bolivia and said, hey, while we were down there, the government told us to, to start, you know, keeping reports and filing reports on Venezuelan and Cuban nationals who were living and working down there. Really? They wanted to know all about these people. That's intelligence field work. And, was um, that proven? Yeah, well, yeah. The, the U.S., uh, the Peace Corps said that this was, uh, an error in, that it was in violation of Peace Corps policy, but basically that, yeah, enough of these, these Bolivian volunteers came forward that they couldn't say that it wasn't true. Wow. So, yeah, it was uh, kind of a thing. So apparently it, it has happened at least once. Um, and it's not like wet work or anything like that. I don't think the Peace Corps volunteers have ever been asked to, like, grease a, a dictator or anything like that. But <laughs> Wet work? I've never heard of that. Yeah, that's, that's like hands-on. Assassinations. Oh, wow. Yeah. What does wet mean? Just I, I your... imagine blood and gore. Okay. Tissue. <laughs> wet from blood? Yeah. Wow. So um, those are the criticisms. Again, though, Chuck, I think we should say that my hat is off to Peace Corps and the volunteers for the work that they do. Absolutely. And and if you're a female Peace Corps volunteer, be really careful. We encourage you to, to be very mindful because, you know, you're alone in these countries and bad things do happen sometimes. And um, just be vigilant and take care of yourself. Oh, yeah. And I think that that goes for all Peace Corps volunteers. Sure. Women are a little more susceptible to, to that kind of crime, obviously. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Got anything else? No. I think that's it, man. Happy 50th, Peace Corps. Yeah, hats off to you. And uh, thank you to all of our listeners who are Peace Corps volunteers or have been Peace Corps volunteers and who have written us to say thanks for being there. We hope, uh, well, we, we thank you back for taking us along on your trips. It's pretty cool. Kennedy's children, that's what they call them. Really? Or they used to. I don't know if they still do. Kennedy's illegitimate children? <laughs> well, that's a whole different batch. <laughs> So, uh, okay, that's Peace Corps. If you want to know more about it, you can uh, type in Peace Corps in the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, and that will bring you this fine, fine article. Um, And I said handy search bar, right? You did. Dude, it is time for listener mail. That's right, Josh. I'm going to call this from an Irish uh, listener in 
I think I've said before, I love me some Irish and Scottish people. Uh, you mean I were at an Irish bar the other night. Were there any Irish people there? There, yeah, there's always at least a couple. So, uh, like I said, I, lo- I love meet some Irish and Scottish. They're great folks. I've had some good friends from that part of the world. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to read this now. Um, as a long-standing recruit to the Stuff You Should Know Army, I always expect to hear something new and interesting when I listen to you guys. Though I never expected to be singled out and spoken to directly, breaking the tenuous podcast reality barrier. <laughs> but that's exactly what happened yesterday. A little relevant detail to begin with. My name doesn't invite nicknames. Uh, John being too normal and Killeen awkward to manipulate into anything else. The best that 14 years of school could give me was the nickname JK, which has stuck for most of my life. So anyway, I was stuck in traffic in Dublin the other day, and the government watch list podcast was coming to an end. I was, be- uh, I was beginning to think about how Orwellian Irish slash global society really is. It started to give me that weird feeling that someone who I couldn't see was watching me or that people were talking about me. Then Josh decided to confirm this paranoia and said, if you want to know more about the terrorist watch list and probably end up on the watch list yourself, JK, I genuinely panicked, (laughs) convinced that the U.S. government was after me. Apparently my reaction to a foreign government pursuing me is to break sharply and almost cause an accident in the middle of the city. I came back to reality and kept driving, sheepishly avoiding looking in my rearview mirror at the angry driver behind me. So thanks and kudos. And uh, if you read this out loud, I'd love to give a quick shout-out to Luke and Andrew, two other members of the Irish Battalion and great friends. So Luke, Andrew, and John in Ireland, thank you for writing in. Go eat some shepherd's pie and drink a <laughs> beer for me. And me. <laughs> and Josh. Yeah. Thanks a lot, J.K., uh, JK, <laughs> um, if you want to let us know about a time we've spoken to you directly, or if you want to tell us about your Peace Corps time, that's pretty cool, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?